Nate Diaz returned to the octagon for the first time in three years at UFC 241 last weekend, and it was like he never left. He had a classic Diaz performance, he made a great call-out, it was 2016 all over again. Dana White was singing Nate's praises post-fight, even joking that Diaz was a needle mover, a reference back to a 2014 soundbite in which Dana said just the opposite. You see, things haven't always been great between Nate Diaz and the UFC. In fact, for the better part of the last seven years, things have been anything but great. So while we temporarily bask in the warm glow of the current moment where everyone seems to be on the same page, let's take a look back at the long and rocky road that got us to today. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and this is the history of Nate Diaz versus the UFC. In order to tell Nate Diaz's story, it's essential to also tell the story of his older brother Nick. The two are inseparable. Nate sees Nick as a role model, a leader, his guide in life. And Nick's interactions with the UFC had a major influence on Nate and his own dealings with the company. Nick was the first of the two brothers to join the UFC. After making a name for himself in the WEC and the IFC, Nick would sign up for his first run with the Ultimate Fighting Championship in September of 2003. It didn't go great. Nick went 4-4, four four, losing his last three in the company. In a deposition for the UFC antitrust lawsuit, matchmaker Joe Silva specifically mentioned a tactic he used to try and lowball Diaz into renewing his contract. The document stated that if the fighter refused the initial low offer and then continued to refuse the subsequent offers, Silva would put them in a tough fight on the prelims for their last contracted bout. It looks like Nick must have continued to say no to the offers because his final bout was against Sean Shirk on the prelims of UFC 59. This is the beginning of a long history of the Diaz brothers and the UFC struggling to come to financial terms. Surprisingly, though, Diaz would return to the UFC just a few months later when Josh Neer needed a new opponent short notice at UFC 62. According to an interview Nate did with Megan O'Leavy before UFC 202, Zuffa were looking to bring Nick back even before they called him on short notice for season 4 of The Ultimate Fighter, which was the comeback season, but Nick felt it would be more trouble than it was worth to live in the tough house and rejected the offer. Diaz would fight once more at UFC 65 before rejecting a new offer from the UFC to fight at Gracie Fighting Championship, an event that fell apart before it could actually happen. Nick would not return to the organization until his contract was bought out after Zufa purchased Strikeforce in 2011. During that five-year span, Nick became a star in the MMA scene, bucking the establishment and authority at every turn, and after bumping around in a few organizations, going on an epic 10-fight run where he would capture and defend the Strikeforce welterweight title. His brother Nate, who shared Nick's affinity for not giving a single fuck, got his start during that period on the show that Nick wanted no part of, The Ultimate Fighter. After fighting Hermes Franca in October of 2006, Nate was invited to participate in season five of The Ultimate Fighter, and while he was hesitant at first, it turned out to be a great decision to do the show because Diaz was the standout of the season and tore through the tournament, winning all four bouts via finish and earning his first UFC contract in June of 2007. Nate received that coveted tough winner pay, and as he told Megan O'Leavy, he was young and thought he was rich. Nate then went on a four-fight winning streak in the UFC with three of the night bonuses, adding to that feeling of being loaded. As Nate told ESPN's Brett Akimoto last week, it was at that time that he was flown out to Vegas to hang out with Dana White. The UFC saw star potential in the tough winner, but rougher times were ahead. Nate would lose three of his next four in the lightweight division, prompting a move to welterweight. It was at this point in 2010, while his brother is capturing titles in Strikeforce, that we would get the first rumblings of Nate being unsatisfied with his pay, telling GracieFighter.com, I don't make enough money to have to drop this much weight, so I'd like to fight at 170 and only go to 155 every once in a while. After winning two in a row at welterweight, Nate lost to Dong Young Kim and Roy McDonald 
back to back. Rory, a very large 170, ragdolled Diaz around the cage. So in summer of 2011, Nate decided he needed to move back down to lightweight. And it was there that he would see the greatest success of his career so far. But it would also lead to his first public issues with the company. After winning three straight with incredible performances against Takagomi, Donald Cerrone, and Jim Miller, Diaz was in prime position for a title fight with then lightweight champion Benson Henderson. He just needed to re-up his contract and he would be good to go. Diaz would sign an eight-fight deal in late 2012 before the title bout, a deal that would be the root of his issues with the company going forward. Nate told MMA Fighting that the UFC conned him, claiming he was reassured that the terms were only temporary and that he could renegotiate at any time. As Dana White told it, Diaz would have received a new contract had he won the title, but he was defeated soundly by Henderson in their UFC on Fox fight. According to the disclosed payouts, Diaz received $50,000 to fight for the title against Henderson, but his next bout, in which he was brutalized in a defeat by Josh Thompson, Nate received only 15000 The grapes of wrath were filling and growing heavy for the vintage. The two-fight skid did nothing to help Nate's prospects for renegotiation, nor did his 90-day suspension for violating the UFC code of conduct when he used a slur on Twitter directed at fighter Brian Caraway. Dana even said cutting Diaz was a consideration for the violation. Nate's next scheduled bout was to be a third fight against fellow Tough Five alum Gray Maynard. Diaz tweeted a month before the card that he couldn't make the fight due to a high school reunion. When asked about this at a scrum, Dana White seemed indifferent. Diaz brothers are doing something crazy. I'm shocked. The real reason Nate did not like the date is because he wanted to fight on the undercard of UFC on Fox 9, which was supposed to feature a lightweight title fight between Anthony Pettis and Josh Thompson, putting him back in a prime position for the belt should he win impressively. That title bout was ultimately canceled, though, and Nate would skip the high school reunion to put an absolute ass-whooping down on Gray Maynard on the originally scheduled date in November of 2013. Nate received his contract at 15K to show and 15K to win, plus a performance bonus. But for Nate, things had reached a boiling point, and the next subsequent two years would be a disaster. The following January, the UFC was trying to put together a fight between Habib Nurmagomedov and Diaz teammate Gil Melendez for UFC 170. When negotiations fell through with Gil, who was at the end of a contract, the UFC asked Nate if he would accept the fight. He said he would so long as he could renegotiate his contract, and it was at that point that Dana White tweeted to a fan asking about the rumored matchup that Nate had turned the fight down and that nobody wanted to fight Habib. Things only got worse from there. Melendez announced he would be moving Moving to Bellator unless the UFC would match or better the contract offer. Team leader and manager Caesar Gracie tweeted that if the UFC wasn't careful, he would move all of their fighters to Bellator, Nate included. Things would get worked out on the Melendez front, and he received a new contract with the UFC that was apparently very substantial. Between his teammate Melendez and his brother Nick, who had fought for the welterweight title against GSP the year previous, Nate was seeing the type of money that fighters can and were making. It's no coincidence that two days after the Melendez deal was made public, Diaz tweeted the UFC and Dana White asking for his release from the company. White dismissed the tweet during a media scrum at Fight Night 37, claiming Diaz had signed a new contract that he was happy with a month ago. Six weeks later, Nate would post another tweet that was anything but cryptic. More money. The tweet prompted a long interview with MMAfighting.com in which Diaz aired all of his grievances publicly. He laid out everything that we've chronicled thus far from the time of the Henderson fight negotiations, and Diaz felt as if he was being treated unfairly. Dana White disagreed in a follow-up interview. His stance was that Nate lost a few fights, then felt his Gray Maynard win entitled him to quote, Justin Bieber money. It was clear in the UFC's eyes. Keep fighting, start winning, then you can get a new contract. Dana ended the interview by saying, he has to come back and fight. He thinks he loses to 
to two of the best guys in the world and deserves more money? In what fucking planet does that make sense? That next month, Diaz was pulled from the UFC's official lightweight rankings, with the company citing inactivity as the reason. The UFC and Nate Diaz were gridlocked. That July, during a media scrum, Dana spoke at length about Diaz, and that is where the infamous needle mover quote comes from. He's not a needle mover. His brother is a needle mover. He's not. I love Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is actually one of my favorite kids. I, I always got along with Nate. Nate was always great. Lowest rated Fox show ever. His number, he doesn't pull the numbers in. Nick, Which one, Nick, Nick, one? Nick is a needle mover. Nick, Nick moves the needle. Dana went on to essentially say that if Nate was as big a star as he thought he was, they would have figured this all out by now. Over a year since he last stepped into the cage, Diaz finally broke and accepted a fight under his current contract against number three ranked Rafael Dos Anjos. This choice turned out to be a terrible one. Diaz missed weight before the fight and was fined 20% of his purse, making his final take $16,000. He would go on to lose a unanimous decision with two judges scoring the bout 30-26. Nate's back was absolutely against the wall now. Despite that, another year would pass without a fight. Although there were rumblings of a fight in July of 2015 with Matt Brown. But as Nate would later discuss with ESPN, he felt as if the fight was being forced on him and he lost interest. With few options left in August of that year, Nate would sit down with UFC Brass and agree to a December bout with Michael Johnson on the main card of UFC on Fox 17. Diaz needed a payday, even if it was 20 and 20. Nate would put on a show on the feet, earning a fight of the night bonus in his unanimous decision win. In his post-fight interview, Nate called out Conor McGregor to the shock and delight of everyone but standards and practices at Fox. While Nate was away from the fight game, Conor McGregor had taken it over. He was the biggest thing in all of mixed martial arts. Just a week before Diaz's return, McGregor captured the featherweight title from Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. He was massively popular for his brash persona, his fighting style, and his way of breaking with established norms, just like Nate had been in his career. He wanted McGregor, but he wanted more so what he had. And as fortune would have it, he would get exactly that just three months later. McGregor had decided to jump up to lightweight and try for a second title against Rafael Dos Anjos. When RDA couldn't go on very short notice, this massively promoted event needed a new opponent for McGregor and fast. The UFC tried for a rematch with Aldo, but he needed more time to prepare. They asked Frankie Edgar to fight, but Frankie was injured and couldn't go. With the buzz of Nate Diaz's callout of McGregor still fresh in the minds of fans, and with no other viable options, the UFC offered Diaz the fight. Since it was on short notice, the bout would take place at welterweight, and for saving the card, Diaz would get a flat fee of $500,000. More than four times what he made in purses in the last four years combined. In the little time the event had for build-up, Diaz and McGregor put on a show, going back and forth at an impromptu press conference. Fuck you. Fuck you. I don't give a fuck what you say, motherfucker. Yeah, thugging on mine, motherfucker. What you got? The hype was massive going into Saturday. Diaz was always a fascination for many fans, and to see him in this position against the biggest star in the sport, the event was trending off the charts. In fact, it would go on to be one of the best-selling UFC pay-per-views of all time. Despite being a plus 340 underdog, Nate would win the bout in the second round via submission, skyrocketing his value instantly. There were murals of Nate being made. He had just beaten the biggest star in the sport in one of the biggest events of all time, and Nate planned to fully take advantage of the new publicity with some time off to build his brand. The UFC had other plans. They wanted the rematch four months later at UFC 200. Diaz felt as if the UFC were trying to get the win back for McGregor as quickly as possible so that he could be dismissed again. But when Conor no-showed a media 
obligation, the fight was postponed. Diaz and McGregor were in negotiations to finalize the fight for UFC 202, and there were rumors that there were issues in getting both parties to sign on. To appease the fans, though, and show that everything was good to go, Dana White posted an Instagram video of Nate Diaz slapping him in the face. MMA is a strange, strange thing. But the fight was on, and Nate's pay this time would be $2 million. The bout was close, but McGregor would get the nod via majority decision. The event would go on to do even better than their first meeting. Nate may have lost the fight, but he was on top of the world, and was expecting a trilogy match to get his win back since they were so quick to give Connor his. But of course, that wouldn't be the case, and Nate would be on the sideline for over three years. While Diaz was waiting for his next move, or for the UFC to put him in another money-making situation, McGregor was winning the lightweight title and boxing the greatest boxer of all time with an 0-0 record. Fans were obviously curious about the next time they would see Diaz in the cage, but the story was always the same from the UFC. Diaz was turning down fights. Nate told TMZ that he was in a contract dispute with a manager and could not fight at that time anyway, but when he was offered welterweight champion Tyron Woodley, he said the UFC wouldn't back him in paying off the dispute, so the fight didn't work out. By summer of 2018, Nate had finally settled into a bout with Dustin Poirier, at least for a few minutes after he signed the contract backstage before the fight was announced at a big UFC 10 pole press conference. Outside the event, though, Nate was already second-guessing everything, as the big surprise of the show was that McGregor was going to fight Habib Nurmagomedov for the lightweight title. Diaz felt underpromoted and underappreciated, telling TMZ as he was leaving the venue, fuck the UFC, and if they weren't going to make things right, there wouldn't be a Diaz-Poirier fight. Nate was correct, but not for the reasons he thought. Dustin had to pull out of the bout due to an injury, although both parties still blamed the other for the fight fizzling. After that, things went cold again. Dana White seemed more apathetic about a potential Diaz fight than ever before, and some fans were starting to feel the same way. Dana White told ESPN, if Nate wants to fight, he'll let us know. Diaz had reached the top financially after years of struggling, and he wasn't about to just fight to fight. Nate told ESPN that he saw an intriguing bout with Pettis after his win against Stephen Thompson, and it was that that prompted them to get back to the table and get a fight made. And now we're back to today. After Nate's win this weekend, it's like he never left. Everyone is talking about a big money fight with either Jorge Masvidal or possibly the trilogy with McGregor. Dana White's calling Nate a needle mover. Everything is great. Everyone is happy for now. But if this long history between Nate and the UFC has taught us anything, it's that these two parties are probably going to come to an impasse again sooner than later. Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.